Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. We need to talk about Trump-proofing democracy for 2024 and beyond. You know, the billionaires, you know, I mean, there's some good billionaires, but there's a lot of billionaire, right-wing billionaires who are essentially embracing fascism. They, you know, they've been embracing the Republican Party forever, put Trump into office. They continue to support him. And they're carefully watching Trump and his administration. They're watching Bill Barr to see what works and what doesn't. How far can you push the destruction of the United States of America? How far can you push the rule of law? How much into the corner can you push American working people? We've stripped American working people of unions. The billionaires have with their bought and paid for laws and Supreme Court. You know, they have stripped workers of protections. They're gutting OSHA, for example. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And and in every case, they're saying, you know, how far can we push this in Trump? has been, you know, sometimes intentionally, sometimes just because he's, you know, bumbling, has pushed the lines. You know, a lot of things were held together by tradition, not law. He has just smashed through those. He's also trashing the law itself. You know, whether it's stuff like, you know, hawking Goya beans from the Resolute desk in the White House. It, Remember when Obama saluting a guy at Marine One with a coffee cup in his hand was a scandal? Fox News bloviated about it for three days. So these billionaires are watching as he's doing everything he can to, as Steve Bannon said, deconstruct the administrative state. In other words, tear apart America and divide us individually as a political strategy. This is what Trump is doing. And he's already revealed a number of areas where our rule of law is deficient. It's not strong enough, including the ability to hold a president to account for crimes he's committed while in office and how much damage a president can do by putting lobbyists in charge of virtually every federal agency, which is obviously what Trump has done. And many of these holes and cracks and weaknesses in our republic that Trump has exploited were actually put into place by the Supreme Court in the 1970s and by Congress after 9-11. The Buckley and Bilotti Supreme Court decisions in the 1970s gave corporations and billionaires the right to own politicians and political parties. And the Patriot Act and you know, similar legislation since 9-11 have given the president vast police powers that throughout history we've only seen in authoritarian strongman governments. And all of these need to be urgently reevaluated, rescinded, or replaced. 
In addition, and the other thing to keep in mind, and I think this is a, a BFD to paraphrase Joe Biden, is that both he and the Democratic Party need to keep in mind that in 2024, in all probability, the Democratic nominee is going to be whoever Biden picks for vice president right now. On the Republican side, it's most likely going to be either Mitt Romney or someone like him, a corporate Republican, or Tom Cotton or someone like him, a right-wing, hardcore, racist, fascist Republican. In either case, the Democrats need to be ready politically for 2024, and that means getting ready right now and making sure that whoever, you know, and Biden needs to be thinking about whoever he's going to pick for vice president needs to be somebody who can not just step into the presidency, if anything, God forbid, should happen to Joe Biden, but also can successfully run for the presidency in 2024 against either a Mitt Romney or a Tom Cotton. I mean, if anything else, that, you know, I mean, Biden has said he wants to pick somebody who he's comfortable with. I think the number one criteria should be, could this person run for the White House and win against a Tom Cotton or a Mitt Romney? Either case. I mean, we've got a laser focus on stripping out the oligarchic and fascist elements that have crept into our republic since the Powell memo since these multiple Supreme Court interventions, right wing, you know, in every single case or virtually every single case, you know, five to four decisions, right wing decisions and the Patriot Act and other laws that have given more power to the president during times of emergency, during times of essentially war without a declaration of war. We need to change this stuff. We need to reverse this stuff. We need to clean this up. You know, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney got away with literally murder. They committed murder. They tortured people to death illegally. They built and maintained a prison offshore in Cuba and used that to torture people. And it's still going on illegally, unconstitutionally. You know, I was going code red back in 2004 when, you know, in the first years of this program, in 2003 over what George W. Bush and Dick Cheney were up to and how that was inevitably going to lead to the rise of essentially neo-fascism in the United States. And guess what? Here we are. And now we've, you know, we've seen the face of it. Donald Trump has torn the mask off the Republican Party. It was all a lie all along. The Republican Party since 1980 has been a front group for big corporations against small companies, against local, you know, family-owned businesses. It's been a front group for giant corporations, and by the way, and against, you know, organized labor as well. And it's been a front group for the billionaire class, generally speaking, and multi-multi-millionaires. And we're now at a turning point. This is a serious moment. And we need to be discussing how do we stop the slide into fascism, even after Trump is gone, assuming that he leaves in January. How do we repair our republic? How do we stop the slide into oligarchy? I just finished writing this book. It'll be out in February or March, The Hidden History of Oligarchy in the United States, and it's specific to America. 
How do we pull back to those small d democratic values? What used to be referred to in the 1700s and throughout the 1800s as a Republican form of government, not referring to the party, but to the idea that it's a republic that is organized around the will of the majority of the people operating within the context of a constitutional infrastructure, the rule of law, and that the principal purpose of the Constitution is to constrain the government from extraordinary and excessive behavior. How do we get back to that? Now that we've got an executive branch completely out of control, we've got a Department of Justice completely out of control, you've, you've got a, an FCC that's in the pockets of the telco companies and the, and the ISPs, you've got a Depart- U.S. Department of Agriculture that's in the pocket of the chicken and beef billionaires, you've got a Food and Drug Administration that's in the, now in the I, they're all being run by lobbyists, right, now in the, in the pocket of the big drug companies. We've got, I mean, step after step after step, what we're seeing here, you know, the Interior Department in the, in the hands of a coal lobbyist, the EPA in the hands of an oil lobbyist. Um, how do we put this back together? I think, number one, we need to get money out of politics. We need to reverse these Supreme Court decisions. Number two, we need to strengthen the, uh, we need to go back to the idea that only Congress can declare war. And without a declaration of war, not one shot may be fired by an American soldier anywhere in the world. We need to seriously reevaluate our military budget. And these are the starting points. What would you add to that list? This is the Tom Hartman Program. And we need to be seriously thinking about the candidates that we're going to be putting forward two and four years from now and planning for the 2024 election. Did you know that Ronald Reagan committed treason to become president in 1980 and George Herbert Walker Bush was in on it and he avoided being prosecuted for this in 1992 with a little help from Bill Barr? It's on page 116 of my book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. Mark in Valley, Washington. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind? Well, I was wondering, you were talking about changes that might need to be made. Why can't they pass a law that if the president's being impeached, that the attorney general answers to the Speaker of the House and not the president? Oh, that's a really interesting idea. Because then the president doesn't have the power to manipulate the attorney general. Right. I don't know if that would pass constitutional muster, you know, what the Supreme Court would say about it, because the impeachment process is laid out in the Constitution. But it may well, and it makes a lot of sense, Mark. I mean, that's that's just like, you know, a super that common sense. That was the only thing, thing I could come up that would actually rein in somebody like Barr. I couldn't think of any other rein in somebody that's as renegade as Barr. Yeah, yeah. Huh. The other thing would be to strengthen, to clarify and strengthen Congress's subpoena power. You know, the ability of Congress to demand that the president respond to a subpoena. Well, unless they're going to clean up the jail in Congress and then actually start locking people up. Somebody like Trump's just not going to, I don't care if you strengthen it or not, he's just not going to abide by it if he's not, if he's not going to get locked up, he's not going to listen to it. Right. And we saw this with the impeachment where he refused to provide even one single witness to the committee or even one single piece of paper, which, by the way, should have been an impeachable offense in and of itself, obstruction of Congress. Yeah, yeah. 
It's a big one. Mark, thank you for the call. That's a great suggestion. I wanted to share with you, by the way, this extraordinary story out of Georgia. Georgia has opened many of their schools this week. And this Brad Reed writing over at rawstory.com, first sentence kind of summarizes it. An entire classroom full of second graders. Now, Trump on Fox and Friends said children don't get coronavirus. It was a lie. But hey, people watching Fox News believe this. Back to uh, the story by Brad Reed over at Raw Story. An entire classroom full of second graders in Georgia has been forced into quarantine after one classmate tested positive for the novel coronavirus, also known as the Trump virus. Local news station WGCL reports that a student at the Sixes Elementary School in Cherokee County was diagnosed with COVID-19 just after that student attended class on Monday, which was the first day back at school after the summer break. All 20 students who are in the class, as well as the student's teacher, will now be under quarantine for the next two weeks, and they will be taught over the Internet. You know, and Trump is tweeting, open the schools, in all caps. This is nuts. You can support our program by supporting the station you're listening to right now and thanking our sponsors for advertising with us. A couple of things I wanted to flag for you. Uh, Number one, here in Portland, members of the Portland Interfaith Clergy Resistance in Purple Vests have been present with protesters for more than 60 days. Yes, those people down there who are getting tear gassed and beaten, well, not anymore. The feds have stopped you know, participating, and they're starting to wear uniforms now. But in any case, they represent Jewish and Christian traditions. We don't have a Muslim member yet, but clergy in support. So first it was moms, then it was dads, then it was veterans, and now it's clergy. A great meme that's floating around the Internet right now, but it's big on Facebook. Jared Kushner advised Trump to let coronavirus ravage our country because he thought it would mostly kill people in blue states. Jared and Trump wanted to use the pandemic to unleash mass death on their political enemies and then use it as an election talking point. Make no mistake, this is a criminal act and the Trump crime family needs to be prosecuted for mass murder. I am with you on that. In science news... There's something hinky going on with Gilead, this uh, drug manufacturing company. This is the company that brought out remdesivir, which is being used right now with COVID patients all across the country. They're charging between $2,300 and $3,100 for a five-day course of remdesivir. It's very profitable. They're going to probably make $3 billion this year off this drug. But it turns out that there's another drug that Gilead developed. It's called GS441524. And it's very similar to remdesivir, and it appears to be more effective. It has demonstrated market effectiveness and safety in animal studies. In cultured cells, it's actually superior to remdesivir. It enters lung cells and is uh, almost instantly converted into its active form that halts reproduction of the virus. It's a smaller molecule and it's more water-soluble than remdesivir, so it doesn't need to be injected. It could be uh, taken as a pill or it could be inhaled. It's substantially easier to manufacture. And in humans, when you give a human an injection of remdesivir, it converts into the substance in the body, this uh, GS441524. So if it's a better drug than remdesivir, why isn't Gilead making it available? 
Well, it turns out that this drug was patented in 2010 for MERS. Both this drug and MERS were developed for MERS and remdesivir. But this was patented in 2010, whereas remdesivir was patented in 2015. So if Gilead brings out remdesivir, they have you know, uh, five years longer of having a patent, being able to sell the drug as a brand name at much higher prices. So we now have this watchdog group, Public Citizen. Ralph Nader started this group back in the 70s, Public Citizen, publicly asking, why is Gilead withholding a drug that appears to be more effective, cheaper to make, easier to administer, why are they withholding this drug in order to promote the sales of remdesivir? Well, it looks like the reason that Gilead is doing this, and this should raise all kinds of flags and, and feeds into my question of, you know, what do we do going forward to try to put America back together again? It looks like Gilead may be doing this because remdesivir will be more profitable because its patent is five years more recent. And so they'll be able to sell it for a longer period of time at the higher patent medicine prices as opposed to it going generic and becoming less expensive. And if that's the case, and Public Citizen is you know, trying to find this out through legal processes and lawsuits and things, and basically trying to shame Gilead into bringing this drug out, if this is the case, it is an absolute indictment of our for-profit healthcare system here in the United States. That would be unconscionable. By the way, in Missouri, not only did the, the good citizens of Missouri turn out in large numbers to say, yes, we want Medicaid expansion after all the Republicans in the state, including the governor, have been heavily, hard, fighting expanding Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act in Missouri so that low-income and poor working people can have health care. The citizens themselves voted for this on Tuesday. But also in, that, in the Democratic primary in that election, there's a seat that has been held by William Lacey Clay. He's a representative in the U.S. House of Representatives from Missouri. That seat has been held by him or his father, William Clay Sr., since 1969. It's a family dynasty. Democratic, but not particularly progressive. And Cory Bush who is an outspoken progressive activist and also a veteran of the racial justice protest movement. Both Bush and Clay are, are African-American. Cori Bush handily beat Clay in this primary, which is, you know, I think a good sign for progressive candidates and progressive values as we go into this election. And, you know, we've seen this now happen over and over again in Democratic primaries where progressive candidates are doing really well. Rashida Tlaib in Detroit won her primary. And in fact, it was a rematch. She had won against her contender. I think the person she ran against was named Jones. And she won by only one point two years ago in the primary and has only been in Congress for two years. You know, member of the squad. This time she won by like 60, 60 some odd percent to 30 some odd percent. I mean, it was a blowout for her. So, you know, progressives are doing really well, and that's a good sign. I think that this COVID pandemic has exposed the structural weaknesses of neoliberalism and neoliberal policies in the United States and is pushing us all in a more to progressive the Tom Hartman program. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. here with you. On the line with us is Jeff Cohen, the founder of Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, FAIR, the co-founder of RootsAction.org. He's also the founding director of the Park Center for Independent Media at Ithaca College, where he is an associate professor of journalism. His most recent book, Cable News Confidential, My Misadventures in Corporate Media. He was the senior producer at MSNBC's Phil Donahue program. JeffCohen.org is his website, and you can tweet him at JeffCOT. Jeff, uh, welcome back to the program. This thing that you guys are doing with Roots Action to vote Trump out, along with some of the leading progressives in the country. I totally endorse this, including, you know, friends of mine like Medea Benjamin, Noam Chomsky, we talked to on this program day before yesterday, Marjorie Cohn, Roseanne DeMauro, Barbara Ehrenreich, Daniel Ellsberg, I've been corresponding with recently. He just wrote a blurb for my next book. Congressman Khanna, who's on this show all the time, Bill McKibben, who we know, James Zogby, a regular on this show, people who have historically supported Bernie Sanders, in some cases, even Joel Stein, getting together. Tell us about this, Jeff. Welcome back to the program, by the way. It's great to be with you, Tom. Yeah, it's an exciting campaign. It's aimed at people who live in swing states who are not that uh, in love with Biden. And so we've got all these progressive luminaries. We're going to use social media. We've got staff in several states, and we're going to try to convince thoroughly progressive voters, what we call swing voters on the left. These are voters who are thinking about either voting for Biden 
are not voting or voting third party protest vote. And we're encouraging them to vote for Biden. The slogan of our campaign is vote Trump out, then challenge Biden from day one. And that's why we have all these progressive luminaries, that if you look at the swing states like Michigan and Wisconsin, the mere increase in Jill Stein's Green Party vote from 2012 to 2016, that increase was greater than Trump's margin of victory when he defeated Hillary Clinton. So we're talking to progressive voters who do not love Biden or his record or his history, and we're telling them this election isn't about Biden. It's about getting Trump out. If people want to see the new Noam Chomsky video where he makes that argument, our website is simply votetrumpout.org. If you've got activists, I know you do, Tom, in your audience who use Twitter, it's hashtag votetrumpout, and I'm told we're trending this afternoon. But, the you know, like Noam Chomsky, I know he was just on your show. He lives in Arizona. So he gave us this video and he gave us this quote. I live in the swing state of Arizona. I would vote for a lamppost to get Trump out. And that's what we're yeah. trying to convey to young Bernie supporters who do not love Biden. They may not love his vice presidential choice. I'm sure I won't. I do not love Biden. We campaigned against Biden. Uh, Norman Solomon and I are the two co-founders of Roots Action. We're both elected Bernie delegates. It's not about Biden. It's about getting Trump out and empowering the ascendant progressive movement. You have Ro Khanna on your show all the time. It empowers Ro Khanna to have a Joe Biden in the White House to push against rather than a Trump who's absolutely immune to progressive persuasion or protest. And Cory Bush just elected, how exciting, in St. Louis and Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, Rashida Tlaib uh, just reelected in Michigan. The squad is growing. The progressive movement is ascending. And the only thing that would stop our ascension is if Trump is reelected for four years. Yeah, this is one of those very, very straightforward things that I think some people miss is that like I voted for Ralph Nader in 2000, but I lived in Vermont and, and that upset my my wife. Louise. She was like, oh, wait a minute. You know, we, we got to vote for Al Gore. I mean, you know, it's uh, George Bush is a toxic guy. He's a, he's a warmonger. He's already told us he's going to start a war with Iraq if he gets elected. And I'm like, yeah, but I like Ralph. We don't have that luxury, at least those of us who, you know, and I don't live in a swing state. I don't think, uh, you know, I live in Oregon. But if I lived in a swing state, I mean, that was my argument when I lived in Vermont in 2000 was it's not a swing state, so I can I have the luxury of doing this. But that nuance is lost on a lot of people who live in swing states may not even realize that their state is a swing state. Right. And the map if is anyone, changing this year. Yeah. If anyone goes to our website, they'll see we are not preaching to you who live in Vermont or California that you have to go out and vote for Biden and organize around Biden. In certain states, Biden's going to win by 20, 25 points. But there's 10 places we're focusing on, 10 states. Trump won them all. They're now swing states. If Biden can flip a few of them, then Trump will be ejected from the White House. These swing states are Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Michigan, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Wisconsin, plus two oddballs, you know, Maine and Nebraska, allow electoral college votes to be split up. And right. 
Last time, Trump won the northern part of Maine, and he won all of the districts in Nebraska. But Nebraska, too, is a swing district. It's around Omaha. If you live in Nebraska, too, you do not have the luxury, in my opinion, to vote third-party protest or to not bother voting because you don't like Biden. The same thing with Maine Congressional District 2. That's the northern 80 percent of the state. So we know where the battleground is going to be. We don't want to just defeat Trump in these swing states. We want to bury him. And then if you're a real progressive who's on the fence, I don't like Biden, I like what the Green Party stands for. If you live in these states, you really need to vote Trump out. And your only tool for doing that is to vote for Biden in those states. Right. And then, you know, looking forward, we're talking with Jeff Cohen, uh, votetrumpout.org is the new website. And talk a little bit about how, if God willing, Joe Biden becomes our president, how do we as progressives, having helped put him into office, then start pushing him in progressive directions? Right. Well, that's the key. He knows we will have put him into office. You know, Hillary may not realize it, but if she hadn't lost those votes to Jill Stein in Michigan, Wisconsin, you know, I think Biden realizes he needs the Bernie people. He needs the progressive people. So where will we be on day one? We're going to be demanding that they push toward Medicare for all. We're going to be demanding something like a Green New Deal. We're going to be demanding cut the military budget. That's where all the money goes in the discretionary budget. We need to redirect that to human needs and redirect it to environmental needs. And then, of course, tax the wealthy. These are winnable things. The left is ascendant. The squad is going to be bigger than ever. And there are so many progressives knowing that the grassroots, you know, most of the people in the Democratic Party overwhelmingly are for Medicare for all. Every exit poll has shown it. Even if they voted for Biden, they came out and said they were for Medicare for all to pollsters. So Biden knows where the base of the party is. Biden knows where the ascendancy is in the party. And beginning on day one in January of next year is when our movement is organized as ever. And we are better organized than ever. We're going to be pushing on the corporate Democrats to say this is what the base wants. This is what the country wants. This is what the polls show even some Republicans and most independents want. And that's how we push on them, Tom. And I should give out the Twitter. It's hashtag vote Trump out. It's that simple. Right. And vote Trump is the website, right? Yeah. Thanks, Tom. OK, Je- Jeff Cohen, vote Trump Jeff, feel free to put my name on anything you're doing. Yes, um, and we will. Th- and we'll get a quote from you. All right. Okay, Bye-bye. and thanks so much for the great service you're doing for our country. Jeff Cohen. We'll be right back with more of your calls in the news of the day in just this a moment. This is the Tom Hartman Program. A fascinating story here about Michelle Obama. I'll tell you about that after. In this week's science revolution, will the virus stop the Trump cult the way defeat in World War II stopped the fascist cult? Dr. Michael Mann is with us on how the Trump administration boosts deregulation by undervaluing the impacts of climate change. Tony Corvo drops by about a new rule. Americans are now eating chickens with cancer. Ew, is that healthy? He'll let you know. Jenny Harbine tells us about a new lawsuit to stop Trump from handing public land to coal companies. Plus, geeky science. School openings? Well, studies now show young kids could spread COVID-19 as easily as older children and adults. Tune into the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are available.
Johan in uh, Los Angeles, California. Hey, Johan, what's up? Not to watch up with gerrymandering. Of course, mm-hmm. the uh, border suppression is in the works from Trump by closing down the post office and privatize it through his donor, right? Right. Yeah. So I know he, Trump, won Florida in 2016 through gerrymandering. But uh, all the Democrats and former Republicans who want Trump out has to watch out for this. We cannot be blindsided again if we want to really win. Yeah. Yeah, gerrymandering is a very pernicious thing, and it's the reason why a majority of people in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, in North Carolina, in Wisconsin voted for Democrats for Congress as well as for governors. And you got Democratic governors because they were statewide votes, but the legislatures of those states and the congressional delegations of those states are still dominated by Republicans. And it's because of gerrymandering, exactly what you pointed out, Johan, and, uh, you know, a good point and, and well made. Thank you very much for the call. Ken in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Excuse me. Hey, Ken, what's up? Oh, hi, Tom. The big problem that we have in this country is uh the fact that so many people are willing to believe in GOP propaganda and oligarch propaganda, and then to uh, turn around and vote for the Republicans. Uh, it's very disgusting and nauseating. And even Marx and Engels in their day, they had the same problem. In one letter to a correspondent, Engels wrote, Dirk Schaden, Rocken, which roughly translates into... Uh, Adversity will make us smart. But I think that the only thing that's really going to spark some uh, real intelligence gathering on the part of our electorate is when the robots march in and really start taking over and, and making the working class redundant. Yeah, well, that's, that's been going on for some time, Ken. But, I, you know, yes, there's this, this massive confluence of events going on right now that Americans, I mean, it's a, a maelstrom, it's a tornado. You know, you, you, you see, if you think back to the Wizard of Oz, you know, all the debris is flying in a million directions. And it's the maelstrom of our jobs having been outsourced all over the world. And that started with the Reagan administration and Reagan and Bush negotiating NAFTA and then permanent normal trade relations with China and has you know gone on for 40 years. It's the destruction of our environment and climate change. I got the New York Times environmental newsletter today, and it's just absolutely shocking. Uh, they're talking about FEMA and all the crises that are climate change related that FEMA is having to deal with right this minute in real time. Climate change is already affecting America in very large ways. And then we've got this right-wing media infrastructure and a larger right-wing intellectual infrastructure, the think tanks, you know, working to change the narrative in America. And then you've got the political crisis of, of the Republican Party going full fascist. And it's, it's all happening at once, and people are looking around going, whoa! And, you know, all the more reason that we all need to get involved. We'll be back with more of the news of the day and calls in just a minute. Hey, did you know that Hillary Clinton actually won Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Florida in the 2016 election? It's on page 92 of my new book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting.
So Michelle Obama, this is fascinating. She has a podcast and her new podcast came out this morning. And in her podcast, she said that she is, quote, dealing with some form of low-grade depression. It's interesting, you know, Louise and I talk about this frequently, you know, how we're, you know, our moods and our, just the, the, whole, the whole sense of, you know, what's going on. Reality has shifted. You know, we haven't, uh, we haven't been able to hug anybody other than each other since March 10th. And it's life-changing, and it's sinking into a lot of people. There was a fascinating piece, I believe, in the New York Times this morning about how reports of depression and anxiety and anxiety disorders are going through the roof right now. Because, first of all, there's a disease out there that has the capacity to kill you or your children or your parents. And it's invisible. And you've got a president who seems you know, hell-bent for leather on trying to infect as many Americans as possible. That produces anxiety. You've got 25 million people who don't have jobs right now, and the Republicans are dithering about whether or not, you know, if another Republican went on TV this morning and said, oh, $600 a week, that's too much money. We can't, we can't give people that much money. They won't go to work. Well, they're looking for work anyway. You know, they would much rather have work. But you know, you combine all this stuff, and this is what Michelle Obama said. She said, I don't think I'm unusual in that. But I'd be remiss to say this, that part of this depression is also the result, and this is where it goes way beyond the two things that I just pointed out, you know, hiding out from a disease and having lost your source of income. Back to Michelle Obama, she says, I'd be remiss to say that part of this depression is also the result of what we're seeing in terms of the protests, the continued racial unrest that has plagued this country since its birth. I have to say that waking up to the news, waking up to how this administration has or has not responded, waking up to yet another story of a black man or a black person somehow being dehumanized or hurt or killed or falsely accused of something, it is exhausting. And it has led to a weight that I haven't felt in my life in a long while. She continued, uh, she said, I'm waking up in the middle of the night because I'm worrying about something. There's this heaviness. I try to make sure I get to a workout in, although there have been periods throughout this quarantine where I've just felt too low. You know, I've gone through those emotional highs and lows that I think everybody feels, where you just don't feel yourself. And sometimes there's been a week or so where I had to surrender to that and just not be hard on myself. And say, you know what? You're just not feeling that treadmill right now. And, she's, and then she goes on to say, I reach out to my family and to my friends, even at this time of quarantine. You know, I fought to continue to find a way to stay connected to the people in my life who bring me joy. And my girlfriends, my husband, my kids, it's the small things. Louise and I started back in March, I think. Maybe it was early April, doing a Zoom meeting. Every weekend, there's a particular time on a particular weekend day when you know, I send a Zoom link out to our kids and to my three brothers, and to my nephews, and nieces, and cousins, and I mean, you know, it just basically just goes out to everybody that's related to us directly, you know, kind of first and second order relatives, and uh, inviting them to the Zoom meeting. And I've had, you know, people drop in from all over the country, and sometimes, you know, we just have a few people, sometimes we have a large group, but it's like, you know, staying in touch, it's so important. Louise and I have gotten in the habit of reminding each other, asking each other, you know, what are you grateful for today? I think gratitude is probably the single most powerful therapeutic element that anybody can bring into their lives. 
And the one that goes along with that, of course, is forgiveness. But right at this moment, I think that gratitude is the one we really need to be focusing on. Being with each other, reaching out to each other and to our friends and to our neighbor. One of my very best friends, he lives on the other side of the country. His wife is dying of cancer right now. And, you know, I'm trying to reach out to him every day or every other day at the very worst. And, you know, we talk on the phone regularly and, and he's just going through hell between his wife literally, you know, dying of cancer in front of him and, you know, being locked up, essentially. I mean, this is just a really tough time. And we all need to be figuring out ways to reach out to other people, to remind ourselves what matters. We're seeing, you know, problems associated with mental illness exploding in the United States. And it makes perfect sense. It's totally understandable. And then you've got Donald Trump, whose solution to these kind of things is, you know, send in federal forces and, and let's have a riot so that he can get reelected, which just adds to the, oh, my God, what's going on here? So anyway, I just, you know, we don't need to talk about it, but I just wanted to point that out. We, you know, if you're feeling like it's a tough time, you're not alone. And we all need to be here for each other. We'll be back. For our book club today, we're reading from The Healing Power of Neurofeedback, The Revolutionary Lens Technique for Restoring Optimal Brain Function. The author is Stephen Larson, Ph.D., and the foreword is by a guy named Tom Harbin. This is from uh, Stephen Larson's introduction. As the distinguished American psychologist Jerome Brunner has said, not until we have begun to tell a story about our own experience does it make sense to ourselves as well as to others. This book is the story of my experiences with neurofeedback, an emerging technology of healing in which EEG, electroencephalography, processors and computers team up with the brain's own circuits to accomplish remarkable forms of self-regulation. It's also the story of the development and evolution of a particular kind of neurofeedback known as LENS, low-energy neurofeedback system, which emerged from the work and research of a dedicated psychologist with an affinity for electronics and an intuitive understanding of the energies of the body, Dr. Len Oakes. But most of what is presented here are stories relating the actual living experiences of men and women struggling with disorders that affect their nervous systems, parents looking for help with their children afflicted with attention deficit or obsessive compulsive disorder, people who are depressed or anxious and have run out of medication options, people with a head injury or the sudden onset of a degenerative disease that has left them cognitively impaired or emotionally unstable. These stories are in the area that the scientifically minded might refer to as qualitative research, clinical studies, or narrative histories. In this book, you will also find the stories of therapists who grow as they confront their own challenges in understanding, developing new healing paradigms, and learning how to help people who are very sensitive neurologically. Although we also cite and rely upon much hard evidence, scientific data, and measurement, and use refined high-tech equipment that measures the energy of the brain exquisitely, the real heart of what we have to say is about the personal hero journeys that transform the self and expand human therapeutic technologies. These stories move the heart as well as inform the mind. The discipline called neurofeedback or neurotherapy is itself a subdiscipline of biofeedback, a term broadly used for techniques of self-regulation. 
In biofeedback, a machine is used to generate electronic signals that inform a person about factors such as his or her hand temperature or muscle tension. Starting in the 1950s, it was discovered that, guided by such feedback, a person could learn to raise or lower blood pressure, quiet muscle spasms, or soothe an irritable bowel. Neurofeedback is simply the application of this same principle to the electrical waves produced by the brain as recorded on an EEG, an electrocephalograph. With subtlety and skill, it is helping thousands of children and adults learn to regulate their own nervous systems. A not insignificant matter for the CNS, the central nervous system, determines just how one functions in life. The field of neurofeedback is not yet well known enough to have a reputation based on its remarkable efficacy, perhaps because its premises seem closer to the traditional wisdom and spiritual disciplines of the East than to the dominant Western scientific paradigm. But this dominant model is changing as millions of people instinctively and wisely aim themselves toward complementary and alternative medical approaches, and as disciplines broadly known as energy medicine reemerge into the public theater. Energy medicine had a fledgling career toward the end of the 19th and beginning of the 20th centuries, but it was displaced by the monolithic and, it should be added, chauvinistic, allopathic approach that most of us have grown up with. Critics have pointed out that while Western medicine has indisputable benefits, especially in dealing with serious illnesses and health crises, it has very little to contribute when it comes to staying healthy and avoiding illness. Neurofeedback is a people's medicine that has emerged from the work of dedicated clinicians and their satisfied patients. And it is my belief that the work of Len Oaks will come to the forefront of neurofeedback and that neurofeedback itself will take a significant place in the public awareness among those approaches that are not trying to displace Western medicine, but complement it. So people with the conventional medical and scientific educations need not feel threatened by this method. I believe it does more than challenge our current paradigm. It expands it in a healthy direction. In fact, the work presented herein is entirely compatible with the scientific method and pragmatic empiricism. However, I will confess that this book was written by some strange kind of maverick, wearing motley intellectual clothing, always sniffing down the trails of misery, more committed to journeys than to arriving anywhere. One part of me is a good modern thinker, a psychology professor and a social scientist, as grounded in a post-Newtonian universe as anyone else. The other part of me has always had a fancy for myth and magic, and my published writing includes both scholarly and popular books on shamanism, mythology, and some biographical works, including A Fire in the Mind, The Life of Joseph Campbell. While researching Campbell's biography, I found that he also considered himself a maverick. I discovered that we are alike in another way. We both believed invisible things play an all-important part in shaping human behavior. For Campbell, it was myths, as he called them, of the immemorial imagination. But my professional focus has always been on consciousness and energy. Healing Power of Neurofeedback by Steve Larson. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Just to keep you up to date on the breaking news 
there's a whole variety, wide variety of breaking news, but as things happen, I try to bring it to your attention. Richard Blumenthal, he is, by the way, the Democratic senator from, I believe, Connecticut. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. But in any case, he is on the Senate Intelligence Committee. He just tweeted, and I retweeted it just a little bit ago with uh, my comment, which was, whoa, something really big is going on. Richard Blumenthal uh, tweeted, in advance of the classified briefing I will hear later today, I reviewed classified documents this morning. They are chilling. Declassify this information. Americans deserve and need to know about ongoing foreign interference, even sabotage, in our election system. Now, this is a senior member of the Senate Intelligence Committee saying declassify this information so that Americans can know about it. But of course, the Senate is controlled by Mitch McConnell, sometimes referred to as Moscow Mitch. I don't think we're going to see much of that happening, but this is a big deal. And, you know, more attention needs to be paid to it. The other thing I wanted to bring to your attention is uh, what's going on at the State Department. It's the tale of the two Stevens. Originally, Stephen Linick was the inspector general, the IG, for the State Department. I've described this before. You watch these cop shows, you know, and somebody comes in from internal affairs to investigate a police officer or a a police department. Internal affairs is like the internal police department within the police department. So, you know, who will watch the watchers, right? The old question. Well, it's the internal affairs in a police department. And they're hated by all the cops and all this kind of stuff. But they're members of the police department. Same thing with the inspectors general. This was a position that was created by Congress, I believe, right after the Nixon scandals, after the Nixon bribery scandals and all everything that was going on with that. But it was created by Congress during my lifetime. And this, this position of inspector general, they are supposed to be independent of the agency, but they work in the agency, just like internal affairs would be in a police department. And Stephen Linick was the inspector general for the State Department. The State Department, of course, is run by Mike Pompeo, former Tea Party, cokehead, right-wing member of Congress from Kansas, now our Secretary of State. And Steve Linick, the inspector general, started looking into Mike Pompeo and his wife flying around the world and staying in fancy hotels and doing all sorts of weird stuff on your and my nickel, on taxpayer dollars. And so Pompeo went to Trump and said, fire this guy. And he's admitted he told Trump to fire him. So Trump fired him. Trump fired Stephen Linick. So Stephen Linick's number two, a guy by the name of Stephen Ackard, A-K-A-R-D, became the acting inspector general. So last week, Congress subpoenaed a bunch of people in the State Department to try to get to the bottom of what Pompeo is trying to hide from the inspector general. Ackard was not among the people who were subpoenaed. The subpoenas were issued for Merrick String, the Deputy Assistant Attorney of State for Political and Military Affairs, Michael Miller, Senior Advisor Tony A. Porter, and Undersecretary of State for Management Brian Bellotto. Those are the people who were subpoenaed. But the the acting director, Stephen Ackard, was not subpoenaed, but abruptly he just resigned. And it appears that he's resigning because he is upset with the way that the State Department is trying to stonewall this investigation. So I have a a strong suspicion that there's going to be another shoe dropping. And, you know, we need to keep an eye on this. 
Sally Yates' testimony yesterday was just absolutely extraordinary before the United States Senate, the Intelligence Committee you know, essentially said, no, we never sat around in the White House. Obama, Biden, none of them sat around and said, hey, let's get Trump. No, we were concerned because Michael Flynn was having secret conversations with the Russian ambassador and then lying to the FBI about it. And we knew that he was having the conversations and we knew he was lying and he was the national security advisor. And it's like, well, what the hell? I mean, she just kind of blew up the entire thing. I think this is probably the most underreported story of the last 24 hours. Other things that are going on, the U.S. Supreme Court just said, Orange County basically was saying, we don't have to provide coronavirus protections to our prisoners because it's expensive and it's a hassle. And, uh, you know, hey, they're in jail. Screw them. And it got taken to the U.S. Supreme Court. And the court just said, we're with Orange County. Now, this was the five conservatives on the court. The four liberals on the court all said, no, wait a minute. There's this thing called human rights. And you should be protected from dying even when you're in jail. But, in fact, uh, this is uh, Sonia Sotomayor. She talked about the court rewarding bad behavior. And she said, despite knowing the severe threat posed by COVID-19 and contrary to its own apparent policies, the jail exposed its inmates to significant risk from a highly contagious and potentially deadly disease. Exactly. Yesterday, one of the things that was making news, uh, as pretty much as our show was wrapping up, and that a lot of people were like, oh, what's going on here, is that Letitia James, the attorney general for the state of New York, had announced that she would be making a big announcement of national importance. Well, she did. And uh, we were all hoping it was that they had gotten Trump's tax returns. And hey, guess what? He's heading for jail. But no, it's uh, Wayne LaPierre maybe going to jail. The NRA, it turns out, is a nonprofit that is chartered in New York State. It started there 148 years ago, and it's still there. So remember the Trump Foundation? Donald Trump had this charitable foundation. The board of directors was him and his three kids, and I think maybe Michael Cohen. And the foundation was basically, Trump would go to rich people and say, give money to my foundation. They'd give money to his foundation, and then he would figure out ways to cycle that money to himself and his kids or to buy paintings of himself. Well, Letitia James sued the Trump Foundation and took it down. And now she's doing the same thing with it by saying, you know, this is not legitimate nonprofit activity. And they had to shut down the foundation. And and, uh, Trump's three kids all had to go through court-mandated training on how to not run a nonprofit fraudulently. Honest to God, another one of the most unreported stories. Well, now Letitia James is saying, same thing with the NRA. She has sued not just the NRA, she's suing that to be dissolved, but she's also suing four of the uh, top NRA uh, current and previous leaders, principally Wayne LaPierre, and then John Frazier, Josh Powell, and Woody Phillips. And she's saying that basically they, quote, violated numerous state and federal laws, end quote, by enriching themselves, their friends, their families, and their buddies and basically scammed $64 million out of the NRA over just the last three years. Letitia James, by the way, when she was running for attorney general in New York back in 2018, described the NRA as, quote, a terrorist organization. So you can imagine how the NRA is reacting to her uh, efforts to shut them down. The New York Times yesterday reporting that the Deutsche Bank records were actually delivered to the New York attorney general's office, so we'll see how that shakes out. Meanwhile, the Republican hostility to helping people who lost their jobs because of the coronavirus 
This is just mind-boggling. I mean, will the coronavirus be the thing? Finally, after all these years, after 40 years of Reaganomics and lies to the Republican Party, will it be the coronavirus that finally causes Americans to go, oh yeah, those Republicans have been lying to us all this time. I mean, you know, they don't want people to get long-term unemployment. You'll recall, you know, back during the crash in 2008, the Bush recession, if you want to call it that, the Republicans cut long-term unemployment insurance from two years down to one year, and then from one year down to, as I recall, 20-some-odd months, federal long-term unemployment insurance. Same thing now. Oh, you know, we can't. $600 a week to people? Oh, that's too much money. You know, that people won't work if you give them $600 a week. And I, you know, and I'm saying, well, then why do you let people have millions and billions? Um, but anyway, um, you know, they don't want to expand health care to Americans. They don't want to do anything about climate change. All of these things, their anti-science position on the coronavirus, their anti-health position on health care, their anti-climate change position, they all come from one thing, and that's big money. Greed and big money. For decades, the tobacco industry, the fast food industry with big sugar and, and, and soft drinks and, and uh, burgers, and the alcohol industries, all, of the, all three of these major industries funded, literally for decades, funded junk science, saying that their products were actually oh, just fine, they don't harm people. And eventually, after literally millions of Americans died as a result of these lies, half a million Americans dying every year from tobacco, you know, millions of Americans dying every year from hypertension and diabetes associated with junk food and sugar and things like that. And then now we've got Americans dying from climate change, whether it's in wildfires or tornadoes or floods or tropical storms. We've had seven people die from this most recent one. Eventually, we figured out that they were lying to us. They've been doing the same thing around climate change, Medicare and carbon pollution. And they continue to quote phony science and say, ah, you know, everything's good. Status quo is just fine. And these same people and corporations and trade associations that sponsor this phony science also, just by coincidence, sponsor the Republican Party. Literally the whole Republican Party, from the White House to the Senate to the House of Representatives to your state Senate and House of Representatives to your local Republican city council member. All of them are eligible to, to get money from the fossil fuel industry, from the big sugar industry, from the junk food industry, from the tobacco industry, and most of them are taking that money. And now these right-wing trade groups are saying that unemployment benefits keep people from going to work. And now people, on CNN this morning, they quoted one study from one of these trade organizations, American Association of Small Businesses or something like that, said one in five employees, when employers called them and said, would you like to come back to work? We're reopening, said, no, I won't come. And they say, well, this is because they're getting 600 bucks a week. No, it's because they're afraid of dying. But the real agenda here on the part of all of these industries and the Trump administration and the Republican Party is make more money. They don't care how many people die. They didn't, they didn't care how many people died when they were promoting tobacco. They didn't care how many people when, died when they were promoting junk food. They didn't care how many people died when they were promoting alcohol. They don't care how many people die from climate change. They'll continue promoting that junk science. They don't care how many people die from a lack of health care as long as somebody can make a buck. And they don't care how many people will die from the coronavirus, be it in our workplace or in our schools. I mean, if these big money interests had not been funding the entire Republican Party and a small but meaningful chunk of the Democratic Party, there would be millions of fewer deaths. 
in the United States and our nation would be much healthier. You know, but now we're seeing this change. The coronavirus moves a hell of a lot faster than cancer from tobacco or cancer or liver cancer from alcohol or obesity from junk food. And so we're seeing the consequence of these lies being played out in real time in death and poverty and homelessness. And none of this is going to change until we get money out of politics. As long as these people are willing to have Americans die so they can make a buck, we got a serious problem. Do you think this is going to wake this people up? This is the Tom Hartman Program. Will the coronavirus be the thing that leads to an American renaissance? And if so, how do you think that's going to play out? You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.